herbalism with our special guest, medical herbalist Linda Jones. I think as long as I can remember, I've been interested in this. I certainly remember as a child adding rose petals to jars of water. But I think it's always important to remember that just because something is natural doesn't mean it will be kind to your body. I recall Linda telling us about a mushroom medicine course she had been on and the mushroom's ability to kill you was truly terrifying. Plants are powerful and should always be treated with respect. And it's a hello from me. I was very grateful for Hazel for introducing me to Linda and her herbalism classes. Each week we would try out different herbs, both in tea and tincture form, and sometimes make very simple traditional recipes like fire cider or rosehip syrup. And there is something very comforting about being able to retain this knowledge and lore that our ancestors would have had. Whilst both Hazel and I are incredibly grateful for modern medicine, it does feel empowering to know and grow herbs that can be used to supplement health and well-being. And today's special guest is our friend Linda Jones. Linda is a qualified medical herbalist and Jenny and I have enjoyed a number of workshops with her on herbs. I, in fact, did a workshop with her on herbs for first aid and she's very good at what she does. So, Linda, welcome to our show. Thank you for asking me. You're welcome. Can I ask you, first of all, how did you get into herbalism and maybe a bit about how you trained? Well, I've always been interested in people and I like hearing their stories. Um, I'm interested in sort of how people are um, the way that they are and, uh, and their life stories, really. I'm also interested in health and how the body works. And I'm fascinated by how all the body systems seem linked when you um, interview somebody about their health. Um, I've always been interested in nature as well and plants. I grew up living in a massive park in Manchester. My dad was a gardener, so we had a lodge. And so I've always been surrounded by nature. And obviously with my dad being a gardener, it's always been a big part of, um, of my life. Later on in my 20s and my 30s, um, I became aware that I could combine all these things and become a herbalist. So before then, before sort of probably my mid to late 20s, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a herbalist. Um, It really piqued my interest. And then in my mid 30s, I was fortunate enough to be able to take some time out to do some study um, and actually become a medical herbalist. I studied for five years with the College of Phytotherapy, doing a Bachelor of Science degree, validated by the University of Wales. Um, I was also really fortunate that at the same time, I was able to have an apprenticeship with Anita Ralph and Philip Evans, who were long-standing herbalists in Canterbury who had a practice, graduated in 2005, and they offered me a job as an associate herbalist in Westmoreland, where I stayed for three years. Um, 
I've still got some of the same patients that I, I started seeing when they used to come and see me in West Morning um, those years ago, which is nice. Yeah, I began my sole practice in Folkestone under my own name in 2009. And uh, recently, with the time that I've had during lockdown and with limited um, ability to practice, I've created my own uh, apothecary space. Um, which is new and I'm very excited about that so that's how I got into it really. Thanks Linda that's absolutely fascinating I know that um, when we were doing workshops with you you were talking about the different types of herbal traditions could you go into a little bit of that? Yeah I can do so when you train to be a medical herbalist you're trained med well I was trained medically so I'm trained to a similar level to a, a GP, to a doctor. And we're trained to diagnose safely. I'm trained to examine people physically and to look at the symptoms and, and the cause of the symptoms. But traditional prescribing goes a little deeper than that. And that's where the different traditions come in. OK, so... For instance, I well, I use a mixture of the different symptoms of the different traditions. But there's the to list some of them. There's the Hippocratic method, which, as you can imagine, originates from Hippocrates, and um, that's using the four humours. And then there's the Ayurvedic system um, of medicine which uses the three doshas, which is pitta, kapha and vata. And there's traditional Chinese medicine, which uses yin and yang and the elements. And then there's unani tib, which is its Arabic medicine. And that tends to follow a very similar path to the Hippocratic medicine. There's others as well. In, in America, um, herbal medicine originated from the physiomedicalists and the eclectics. And I think that it's important to know that there are some commonalities between all these things. And that's essentially about vitality and resilience and the, that we all have within us a certain level of vitality which affects the way that we fight pathogens and disease throughout our lives and traditional prescribing takes account of how the body is influenced um, by this by energetics really which basically means whether or not the body and the herbs are hot cold wet and dry in their quality and that's really, I'm trying to make, it's, it's, it's quite complicated, but it's also quite straightforward. So our, our next question is, without obviously giving away any confidences, what's the most common illnesses or conditions you find yourself dealing with as a, a medical herbalist? All sorts of things. All sorts of things, really. Um, being a 55-year-old woman, I do tend to attract uh, a lot of people who are um, going through the menopause. 
herbs are really helpful for buffering the body against the changes um, that happen around that time. So I, I tend to see a lot of, um, of menopausal ladies. Interestingly, things go in batches as well. So I currently have five patients who um, are suffering symptoms as a result of Lyme disease. So that's something that's quite prevalent for mm. me right now. And um, at the moment, I'm treating a couple of people with ADHD and um, helping them to cope with that. Stress and anxiety is always uh, a big feature. Polycystic ovarian syndrome and anxiety, all sorts of things. And what tends to happen as well is that when and older people, I treat quite a lot of older people as well. So, you know, for things like um, blood pressure and uh, problems with their circulatory system and people that want their immune system boosted. So they want to be in the strongest place possible to be able to fight off any bugs. And that tends to happen quite a lot um, with people that are already on my books. So they've seen me for something quite complicated at some point. And then we've had a period of six months or so whereby they've had regular medicine and they've been helped with the problem that they have. And then periodically, if something happens or they, you know, they get a cold or, you know, they start suffering from migraines or something else new crops up, they'll contact me and they'll say, hey, Linda, can you help me with this? And, and so, so lots of things, really. Well, could I just insert a follow-up question there, Linda? Yeah, of course you can. If somebody comes to you for treatment, how do you treat them? What do, they, what do you offer them sort of thing? What is the medicine? What do I do? Yeah. Right. So, okay. When I first meet somebody, they come in and they talk to me. So we have the first consultation is generally about an hour. And during that time, I'm asking them why they want to see, why, why they're seeing me. So, I, you know, the things that are important to them that have driven their consultation with a herbalist. So that's the first thing that we talk about. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll, I'll ask all sorts of questions around that, like, you know, sort of um, when did it start? Where did it start? How did it start? And how has it progressed? Is there anything that's made it better? Is there anything that's made it worse? And we talk about that. And then I talk about the history of the, of, the, of the problem that they've got, whether or not they've ever had it before. And so we get a really big picture. And then I ask them about everything else that's going on in their body. So I literally go top to toe. And I might ask them about their nervous system, whether or not they have any problems with their sleep and anxiety issues, that sort of thing. I'll ask them about how their respiratory system is functioning, their circulatory system is functioning, their digestion, gynecologically for ladies or male reproductive system in men and how their urinary system is, is functioning. And I've got, obviously, as you can imagine, a series of questions that help me to um, elicit that information from people. I'll ask them about their skin and their musculoskeletal system and any aches and pains that they might have. I'll ask them about any allergies and really importantly, any pharmaceutical medication that they might be taking. 
um, and their family history. And they'll also ask them about their diet and their lifestyle. Um, that's really important too, because some things can be helped just by changing diet without having any herbs. And it, if I believe that that's the case, and if just a simple tweak to their diet is enough, if I think that's enough and they are on board with that, then I might suggest they do that first rather than take on the, the cost of a medicine on a regular basis. Not everybody wants to change their diet, though, to be fair. But if I think it's, especially with skin issues, with skin issues, sometimes it's, it's well, oftentimes it's uh, diet related. So, uh, so, yeah, that's what I do. And then all the time that I'm talking to them, I'm making notes about the type of herbs that I think I might, that, that, that come to me as being helpful for correcting the imbalances that I'm seeing in the information that they're giving me. The information that they're giving me will help me to think, oh, okay, well, maybe the liver needs a little bit of support. Maybe the nervous system needs a little bit of support. Maybe, you know, we need a lung restorative um, or we need something that's astringent to the bladder or something that's anti-inflammatory. And all the time I'm making notes so that what I end up with at the end is a list of anything between one and 15 different herbs that I think might be helpful for that individual. And then 15 herbs, generally, I wouldn't be able to fit that into a prescription. So then I hone it down a little and I think, okay, well, what's the most important? And, um, and, and, and typically I'll end up with a recipe, which is what we call it, a prescription is a recipe of about five to seven different herbs in different quantities, depending on um, on, on the, the presentation of their symptoms. And is that usually in the form of a tincture? or So you usually use tinctures because they are easy to take. You um, only need a teaspoonful two or three times a day. And mixed with a little bit of water and you knock it back like a shot so that's generally what I use because they are so simple to mix it's very easy to create a formula and it's very easy for people to take I do prescribe dried herbs I'm able to prescribe dried herbs and then they're mixed into a tea which is really attractive generally because it's just a mixture of wonderful dried plants ingredients and it, they're so colorful they're fragrant and for people who have a little bit more time or who don't tolerate alcohol very well, then teas, teas are, are, are helpful. Occasionally, I also do deep decoctions, which are wonderfully concentrated and processed versions of teas, where essentially, without going into all the nitty gritty, essentially it sits in my oven for 48 hours. Uh, whilst uh, and and then I simmer it down it's very concentrated it's a lot of work goes into those so I only tend to do those for people who can't tolerate tinctures and who need something stronger than a tea. Linda what herbs do you like to have to hand yourself maybe you grow yourself and might be useful for people to grow themselves even if it's in only in you know a couple of containers. In my garden, um, I don't have a massive garden. You guys know that. I've got like a <laughs> tiny little yard. I had a, an allotment for a while, but sadly they won't let you grow herbs in an allotment because they consider them to be weeds a lot of the time. 
Um, but yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Yeah, so sage is a really good herb to have in the garden. Um, it's nice and easy to grow. It grows well, generally, in pots. And it's helpful for menopausal sweats. It's also helpful in the summer, too, because if you take leaves and you rub them on a bite or a sting, um, then then it helps take the inflammation down. It's anti-inflammatory. What else is it used for? It's, it's also quite helpful for the throat. So if you've got sage, you can make yourself up a herbal tea and let it go cold, and then it'd be nice and soothing for, for throat problems. Um, yeah. Also, thyme. Thyme's not quite so easy to grow. It depends on your soil, but you need a really big plant of, of thyme. Um, but it is really helpful. It also combines well with sage for the throat issues. But also thyme is really helpful in the lungs. It sort of helps to soothe the cough reflex. So if you've got, you know, if you've got a cough, like very topical, sage is, is really helpful for that. And it also is antiseptic um, and expectorant. So that's why it's helpful for coughs. It's also antifungal. So you could make up a tea and then cool that down and use that as a as a ba in bathing water for athlete's foot. That might help there too. And thyme tea is also antiseptic in the urinary tract. So if you've got mild cystitis or you feel like you might be coming down with a urine infection, then until you get other help, then thyme tea might be helpful for that too. Lavender. Lavender is really nice. Um, it's really helpful for anxiety. Not many people know that you can use lavender as a tea and it is a bit of an acquired taste. You don't need very much of it and you might want to mix it with something else, but it is really helpful for common anxiety. It's helpful for sleep. Um, it's it's anti-inflammatory. So it's, it's, it's lovely. It's really uplifting. Also rosemary. Rosemary is really easy to grow and it's I often suggest people take rosemary tea if they're trying to come off caffeine and coffee because rosemary is a little bit of a stimulant. It sort of stimulates circulation to the head, which is where it gets its reputation helping with memory. So, you know, sort of if you're revising for exams, you often burn rosemary. Well, you could drink rosemary tea. Yeah, and it's, say, because it's quite uplifting, it is quite stimulating too. And lemon balm, lemon balm is, is a beautiful herb and it combines really well with lavender. So I would often put lavender and lemon balm together and um, only a little bit of lavender and more lemon balm. It's delicious. It's, again, it's uplifting. Um, so it's helpful if you're feeling a bit down, then lemon balm Um is it acts as an antidepressant. I mean, I would use it as an antidepressant. Again, you have to be really careful. You know, um, I'm not suggesting that you would do that instead of getting medical help. But if you just want something just to, to make you feel a little bit better, then lemon balm is, is, is good. It's also antiviral and is helpful against the um, cold sore virus. So you could use that topically once you've made it up. It's also really helpful for anxiety which is why it combines well with lavender and also for the stomach, for settling the stomach. It's traditional for helping um, children, uh, you know, sort of the, when they've got upset stomachs and things.
lemon balm, there is no substitute. I use lemon balm dried, but lemon balm fresh is a completely different entity. And that's because the essential oil within lemon balm is so fragile that unless it's dry, unless it's fresh, you don't really get the benefits of the essential oil. And so another thing that you should do if you're making a cup of tea with lemon balm is to keep the lid on, keep a lid or put a saucer on top of the cup while you brew it. And then that will keep the essential oils in there and don't brew it for too long. They're, they're the ones that I would have in my garden. Also, some people, I don't use it much, but aloe vera is really helpful for burns. And so people often have aloe vera or I often suggest people have aloe vera on their windowsill in the kitchen because then you can just break a little bit off and use it immediately. It's like a first aid treatment. So you mentioned a couple of um, herbs there for anxiety. And I think in the times that we find ourselves living in, anxiety is, is quite common. So is there anything else that you would recommend for anxiety? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the caution here is that um, always make sure you consult a, a decent, reputable source, either online or in a book, if you're taking any medication or you have pre-existing medical conditions. You always need to be very careful. But some of the, the most gentle and um, available things are chamomile. Chamomile is really helpful for calming anxiety. Lavender, lemon balm. I use skullcap a lot. It's not a widely available herb, but you could grow it. Scutellaria is its Latin name. And um, oats, you can get oats, oat straw in a tea. And that's really nutritive. It's, it's got lots of, of um, minerals in it as well. So that's, that's helpful for anxiety. Not so much in a tea, but valerian is, is, is helpful for calming anxiety it's probably my major um anxiety herb is valerian but it doesn't suit everybody and that's where you know you really have to test these things and see whether if it doesn't make you feel good then don't use it again and are there any kind of other than resources and consulting people are there any other safety tips that you would recommend for using health herbs at home yeah yeah you need a book or two I think, I mean, the, the key is just try a little bit to start with, especially if it's a, start with a dried herb, start with a herbal tea and just try a little bit. I mean, you'll see in your supermarket, there's there's all sorts of herbs in, in those herbal teas. Um, and generally speaking, they are safe for everybody. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to be sold. And um, so I don't want to unduly alarm people. But if you are interested in taking it further and sort of growing your own herbs and prescribing for yourself, then there are there are a few books. And, and if you like, I will sort of give you some recommendations of books, um, Jenny and Hazel, that you can then attach to your podcast. Is that a thing that we could do? Yeah, we can certainly put a link to some resources yeah. in the podcast. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, that's what I would suggest, really. I mean, do you have a, a go to book? I've got a few. I mean, I, I go. What I when you asked me about this, um, this is something that I thought. Oh, you know what? What what books are helpful? And so the books that I would go to now are not helpful 
for 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 guys that are just starting out and so the guys that are starting out I think you know sort of there's a, a, a wonderful book by um Henriette Cress who's an Icelandic lady and she's written a book called Practical Herbs and there's also a couple of books sort of encyclopedias of herbal medicine and one is by um, Thomas Bartram and the other is by Andrew Chevalier. Thomas Bartram's no longer with us. Um, Andrew Chevalier still has a busy practice, as I understand it, in, I think, Norfolk. But these are, you know, very experienced herbalists that, that have written books, really. And they're beautiful books, especially Andrew Chevalier's book. It's It's got lots of pictures and it talks about safety. It talks about how to prepare the herbs, as does Henriette's. Those are the books that I would recommend. I mean, there's other books that I recommend for different things. You know, if you're combining tradition, magic and science, then there's another set of books that I would, I would recommend and different books for making things. And I've, you know, there, I'll, there's, there's lists. I've got a list of, of those as well. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Linda. That's been brilliant. Uh, it's really interesting and I'm sure... Uh, that's inspired a lot of people to find out more about herbs. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure to do it. And it's goodbye from me. There are links in the show notes for the comprehensive guide to books and courses recommended by Linda to deepen your knowledge on herbalism. Please come over to our Facebook page to join in the discussion about all things herbal. Do you grow your own herbs? What is your go-to book on herbalism? And have you ever seen a medical herbalist? And what's your experience like? It's goodbye from me. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. And I really hope you'll join us next week for Spoke 28 of The Wheel. Bye. Bye.